The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Hi, I'm Jasmine. This is my story. I grew up in the church with my family. My dad was a pastor. Uh, When you grow up in a Christian home, you know, yes, we find God and yes, we trust God. And um, at least for me, I never really found him on my own. And I think that was a big thing for me is that I believed what people told me to believe. My family, uh, we ended up moving to Florida. My dad was sick and uh, the church that we were a part of kind of let him go. So we were kind of at the lowest of the lows, if that makes sense to anybody. At about age 21, um, I met my daughter's father and it was only about three weeks into our relationship that we ended up getting pregnant with my daughter, who is now seven. Nine months later, I had my little girl, and um, then suddenly my family decided they wanted to move back to Maryland. So we moved back to Maryland, and um, my daughter's father did move with us. That was hard for him, and it was hard for me. I'm back in Maryland with a two-month-old, three-month-old daughter, and God was basically nowhere in my life. I don't think any of my family at that point was attending a church. I think we'd all been really hurt uh, by what had happened at our previous church and that it was really hard for us to reconnect. So I started at a job and I fell in with a crowd there that (laughs) didn't follow Jesus at all. The person I became was someone that I looked at when I was younger and said, how could they get to that point in their life? And I was now that person. Who hurt you? What hurt you? And who should pay for your pain? And who's to blame for your hurt and your shame? What does hurt and shame and regret do inside of us? It does something like this. It becomes an overwhelming weight. It's like a burden that we carry. And so what do we do with it? We, uh, a phrase I use frequently is hurting people hurt people. So we take our pain, our shame, our guilt, our regret, and then we just kind of put it on others. We take it out on others. Or we blame shift. It's not my fault. It's your fault. It's not my fault. It's, it's the world I live in. Things are messed up. It's someone else's fault. And so because of the suffocating burden of our hurt, of our pain, our shame, and our guilt, we're looking for someone to blame and someone should pay. So sometimes we take it out on others, whether they deserve it or not. Sometimes we turn to God looking for hope looking for healing, looking for him to lift the burden. But not everyone turns to God looking for him to lift the burden. Some look to God to blame, right? Because if God could do something about all of the pain and the suffering and the sickness we're feeling, then why doesn't he? And if he could, then he should be blamed if there's still pain, And and so some look to God and they blame God for what's wrong in the world around us. And certainly if that's what you're feeling, you're not alone. You're not the only one that's ever felt like that. Certainly there have been others who have taken their pain out on God before. In fact, two of Jesus' closest friends and students took their pain and their shame 
out on Jesus. In fact, so I'm going to do in this message, I'm going to give you uh, these two individuals. I'm going to quickly walk you through their story, and then their lives are like life lessons that we can learn from on how we can respond when we're carrying deep shame or regret or pain. We're carrying something that we look at and we say, someone should be blamed for this. And so the first one I'm going to bring you to is the example of the life of Judas. Judas, a close friend and student of Jesus, um, his story is captured by several eyewitnesses. One of them was this guy, Matthew, who wrote it out in his account of the life and teachings of Jesus. And so let me just jump in, bring you to the story of Judas. So here it is, Judas conspires with powerful leaders. Judas conspires to betray Jesus. And so he sells out his friend for a price and a profit. And so this is the moment where, Jesus, where Judas leads a group to arrest Jesus. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man arrest him. And so here's the moment. Judas comes up and going out once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, or just a term of endearment for a a well-respected teacher. And he kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you have come for, friend. Man, what a statement. In the moment where Jesus is being betrayed, Jesus accepts Judas. Judas is treating Jesus like a foe, an enemy, and Jesus calls him a friend. And here is the moment, right? So from this moment, Jesus is arrested He's tried, he's sentenced to death, and then he's crucified. Judas becomes overwhelmed by what he's done. And this is the moment I really want to speak to you. How do we respond when we become overwhelmed by what has happened around us and the hurt that we carry, overwhelmed by what we've done and the regret that we carry? And so here is Judas' moment. We're going to jump to a few verses later when Judas who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And he acknowledged, I have sinned. And he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. Now, before we move on to the next verse, I want to just pause here. Interestingly, up to this moment, the way Judas responds is actually the right way to respond. Judas has deep remorse, so he is aware that what he has done is wrong. He feels guilt and shame. He has this deep sense of, I have done wrong. He wants to make it right, and so he brings the silver prophet back to those that paid him to betray Jesus, and he acknowledges, I have sinned. Now, <laughs> they clearly 
don't want to be on the hook for what he has done. And so they're like, look, what does that do? That's not our problem. That's your problem. If, if you're looking for someone to blame, look somewhere else. You can't just give us the money back and get Jesus' life back. You did wrong, and you're going to have to carry that on your own. That's your responsibility. And that burden of responsibility begins to overwhelm Judas. It becomes such an overwhelming burden that he can't carry it. It, be, it shifts from remorse to hopeless regret. And so the next couple of verses really explain what happens. It goes like this. So Judas, he threw the money into the temple and he left. And then he went away and he hanged himself. He took matters into his own hands. He tries to return the money hoping that that will make things better. But um, you don't just get to pay back what you've done wrong because what we've done wrong, we can never pay back, right? And Judas tries to take matters into his own hands and he thinks that taking his life will pay for the life of Jesus, but it doesn't work like that. Judas acknowledges that he sinned, but he, he realizes that you can never blame someone else and you can't shift the blame, but you also can't carry the blame. And so there's nowhere to go. Now, I, I, wanna, I wanna shift gears because I told you there's two examples. There's two individuals in this story who carry regret, carry shame, carry blame. Here's uh, the man, Peter. Peter is one of the closest friends of Jesus, and he has this really uh, close moment where he's trying to, basically, he's just mustering all the conversation. Jesus, I'm always going to be there for you. I'm your best friend. You can always count on me. This moment is recorded by somebody who investigated the life of Jesus. He studied by talking to eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus, and he recorded his account in what becomes known as the gospel according to Luke. And so here, here's a moment in the life of Peter where Peter and Jesus are having this conversation. We're going to jump to um, Luke chapter 22 where he says, but he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with, to, with you to prison. I'm willing to die with you. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go to death with you. And Jesus just kind of looks at him and he's like, really, Peter? Because I kind of know how this story is going to end. I, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, You'll deny three times that you even know me. Now, believe it or not, Peter kind of actually follows through on his commitment. He spends the night with Jesus, and um, they, they spend time together, and then Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's in prayer, and so, Jesus, so Peter is there with Jesus. And then this group that Judas brings to arrest Jesus, they all show up with swords and Peter pulls out a sword and he, he swings wildly and he starts fighting. Like he wants to use, you know, sword for sword, blow for blow, you know, violence with violence and Jesus stops him. And this is a disorienting moment. Not only does Jesus stop Peter, but he heals the man that Peter attacked. And what you see in this moment is Peter is disoriented because he realizes like he has this struggle. If God won't stop this trouble, then I can't stand with God. And maybe that's what you're feeling right now. If God doesn't fix the problems in the world around me, then how can I be faithful to this kind of a God? 
How can I believe in a God who will allow this to happen? And that's what Peter's doing. Peter's struggling. He's going, how could Jesus allow this to happen? How could he allow this trouble? How could he allow himself to suffer, let alone the rest of us? So Jesus is arrested. He's dragged into the courtroom where he begins to be sentenced to death. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be beaten. And where do you find Peter? Well, let's just jump in uh, to continuing the story here. A little... After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter. So Peter was kind of uh, outside in the courts where Jesus was inside being tried. And these people came up to Peter and they said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then he began to call down curses. So here's Peter cursing like a sailor. Ah, he was a fisherman. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. Now, he's trying to make a point here. You can look at the way I'm talking, and you can be convinced. You think that I'm one of those because of my accent? Let me use some words to convince you that I'm nothing like Jesus. And clearly, he convinced them. But immediately, a rooster crowed. The rooster that Jesus spoke about. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows. You will disown me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Judas falls into hopeless regret. His remorse morphed into regret that he couldn't overcome. And then there's Peter who denies his best friend, who betrays him when he needs him most, and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. But what I want you to see is something significant. Something happens in this story that shifts the life of Peter forever. And it's what shifts it for every one of us. And what I want you to take away from this moment is this. Jesus took our blame so that we could be forgiven. Jesus took all the blame on himself. Look, we live in a messed up world and we're never gonna avoid situations that hurt. We're not going to heal the world on our own. Even when we overcome one sickness, there'll be another. I'm not trying to sound doom and gloom. I'm starting to speak realistically that we live in a broken world where things are not as they should be. And we're not going to avoid hurt, regret, shame, something that we want to blame someone else for or that we carry blame for. Why? Because it's not just that we live in a broken world. It's that something is deeply broken inside of us. The reason why we carry blame is because we turned our back on God. We rejected Jesus like Judas and Peter did. You and I are Judas and Peter. They, we could be loved by God, but we've rejected that. There's this deep thing inside of every one of us called sin. It's a spiritual sickness where we turn our back on God and we do what we want. We go our own way. And we carry this sin shame and this sin blame. And it's a heavy weight that like Judas, you can't carry. You, there's no one else you can give it to, but you can't carry it on your own. And so what do you do? You can, you can slump into hopeless regret, or you can go out like Peter and weep bitterly. 
And if you're in a place where you're weeping bitterly, I promise you this, that Jesus has already met you there because Jesus wants to lift the blame off of you because he was willing to carry our blame. He was willing to be judged for what we deserve to be judged for. He took our condemnation on himself. He took our rejection on himself. He took all of the sin, shame that we deserve on himself. And so I'm gonna read you the story of how Jesus was judged, how God went on trial. Right now, maybe you're looking at people around you who are saying, if there's really a God, then why would he allow this to happen? And they're blaming God. It's okay. It's okay. God can handle it. He took the blame already. So let's read this story. We're going to start in Luke. The men who were guarding Jesus began to mock and beat him. All the mockings you've ever experienced and the beatings you've ever felt all put on Jesus. They blindfolded him and they demanded, prophesy, who hit you? Jesus was blinded for those that are spiritually blind. And they said many other insulting things to him. Jesus hadn't ever insulted anyone. What was happening was all of the insults that we carry were being heaped on Jesus. And they began to accuse him the accusations that you and I carry, put on Jesus. And so Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And uh, Jesus is like, hey, you're the one that's saying I'm the king of the Jews. And we're going to continue just kind of read through the story. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? Jesus is innocent. What has he done to deserve death? He hadn't done anything. What was happening was our crimes put on Jesus. Jesus hadn't done anything. The death we deserve was being put on Jesus I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. That's right. But we have the grounds for the death penalty. And so our death penalty is being put on Jesus. Therefore, I will have him punished and then released. And then release him. But that's not how they wanted it to happen. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. Not just their shouts prevailed. God's purpose prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. Jesus on trial. God blamed for our wrongdoing. God absorbing the condemnation of death for the eternal death sentence you and I deserve for our sin and shame. But this is the moment where Jesus, the giver and maker of life, is put to death. The God who made us perfect absorbs all of our imperfections. A God who made the world without sin becomes our sin and absorbs our guilt. And what happens? When they came to the place called the skull, Golgotha, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, Listen to what Jesus says hanging on the cross dying. Father, forgive them, for they do not know 
what they are doing. Do you think Jesus was only speaking about those that had crucified him in that moment? No, he was thinking of you and I. When Jesus is on the cross, when he was being condemned, he thought of our condemnation. When he was being judged, he knew that we were carrying blame and deserved to be judged. When Jesus is being crucified, he's thinking of you and I, and he's saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive all those people who don't know what they're doing. They, they want to blame someone else, and they want to blame God. They don't know what to do, and they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. So Jesus is condemned so that we can be forgiven. He is abandoned so we can be accepted. He is denied so that he could die in our place. Jesus not only dies, but he rises from the dead. And in his resurrection, he gives us victory over sin, victory over death, because now we know that life doesn't end in death, but death ends in forever life. Guys, this is the hope. Listen, I, I realize that each of you are in different places right now, not, not just behind your screen or behind your smart TV, but your hearts are all in different places right now. Some of you are looking to blame. Some of you are carrying blame. Some of you have turned to God, hoping that he will lift your blame. He wants to meet you right where you are. Jesus was thinking of you on the cross, and he's offering you love right now, a love that washes over the pain and the shame and the guilt that we carry to set us free. And so you have Judas as an example of someone who falls into hopeless regret. He has nowhere to put his blame, but he can't carry it himself. And then you have Peter who can't carry it, and he's weeping bitterly, but he, all he knows is to go back to God. And so I want to bring you to a, this key moment in the life of Peter. Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. Peter and his friends are out fishing, and Jesus comes to them. I want to bring you to a story. It's in John chapter 21. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. They, they're, they're in a boat. They're fishing, and they see Jesus on the shore. And John says, it's, it's Jesus. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he picked up his, he picked up his robe, and he put it on around him before he had taken it off, and he jumped in the water. I love this moment. Listen to me. Judas runs from God into forever suffering. Peter, even though he's carrying bitterness and regret, he jumps in and throws himself at the mercy and the love of God. He didn't just jump into the water. He jumped into the love and mercy of God. And so here's what I want you to know. Failure is not final when we're forgiven. For, for Judas, his failure felt final. He had nowhere to go with the blame, the shame, the, shame, the regret, the guilt. Peter, he, when he sees Jesus, he jumps in and he runs to Jesus. Our failure is not final when we are forgiven. I want you to know this. Jesus offers forgiveness. Whatever shame you're carrying, he wants to set you free. Whatever guilt is burdening you down, Jesus already carried your guilt to the cross. 
Whatever blame that you want to put on others, Jesus wants to lift it off of you because he carried your blame on himself into his death. He died to set us free so that your failure is not final because you and I are forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. You are forgiven right now. You don't have to make a list of things that you, I don't believe Jesus can forgive me this. No, there's not one thing you can think of that Jesus cannot forgive you of. There's not one thing you're carrying that he can't heal. And so what do you do? You jump in like Peter. You dive into the water of God's grace and his forgiveness, and you just get close to Jesus. Peter swam to Jesus. And for some of you right now, you need to come into an encounter with God. You just need to go after God. Swim into the grace of God's goodness and his forgiveness. I promise you, he's making it readily available to you. And so what do you do? You receive it. You just accept it right now. Uh, uh, Here's what I want to make sure you do. Not only receive forgiveness, but then forgive yourself. Don't you carry shame that God has already forgiven. Don't Don't you let yourself be weighted down by blame that God has already set you free from. Now, let's not stop there because I want you to be forgiven, but I don't want you just to be forgiven. Here's what happens next. So so Jesus uh, meets Peter, and he invites him to have a breakfast, but not a lot is said until after breakfast. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you really love me more than these guys love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, okay, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three times, Peter denied Jesus. So three times, Jesus has him confess his love. Three times, Peter turned his back on Jesus. So three times, Jesus has him repeat his love for him. There's this powerful moment What Jesus is really doing is this. He's letting Peter into a moment. Forgiven people, forgive people. He goes, Peter, I want you never to forget this moment. I have forgiven you. Do you really love me? Because you denied me. Yes, Jesus, I love you. Well, then I want you to share what I've given you. Peter, do you really love me? Because kind of like you did this a couple other times too. Yes, Jesus, I love you. Well, then why don't you give away what I've given you? And then he goes a third time, Peter, I never want you to forget this moment that I love you and that I forgive you. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Then give my love away to others. Forgiven people, forgive people. Maybe the question right now would be this. Do you know that you are loved by God? Then share that love. Do you know that you're forgiven by God? then forgive others. If you're carrying hurt, you're harboring unforgiveness, you're holding a grudge, 
You're carrying someone else's debt and you're gonna make them pay. I want you to know that Jesus has already paid for it. He's paid the debt. He took the blame. He freed you from the burden you're carrying and he wants to set others free as well. And so forgiving people, forgive people. How do you forgive? You choose to forgive, just like God chose to forgive you. And then you act on that forgiveness. You begin to treat people differently. And then you pray for the feelings to follow. That's right, you just say, God help me feel like I have forgiven them. And then you choose to forgive over and over and over again. Because even if you choose to forgive one time, those feelings might not change. And so then every time you feel that bitterness or you feel that hurt or you feel that anger, again, you have to choose to forgive and choose to forgive and choose to forgive. It's a journey of forgiveness. Now, there are some of you right now, I, I know this, you need to be forgiven. You need to receive the forgiveness of God. And that's where you're at right now. You're ready to choose to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I know you're in your home. I know you're behind a screen. You might be with family right now. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a commitment to believing in Jesus. In fact, I'll, what I'd love for you to do is this. I want you to text LH now to 41411. LH now, meaning right now with Lifehouse, you are saying yes to Jesus. I want you to text LH now to 41411, and we want to pray with you. I, I just simply want you to say yes to Jesus right now. Now, if you're, you're in a different country and, and the texting won't work the same way, or if you're with us online, you can also just put LH now in the comment section, and we will immediately follow up with you and begin uh, to encourage you on this journey. Look, we just want to help you as you take that first step in saying yes to Jesus. Here, here's what I want to do. I want to just pray with you right now. For each of you that are saying yes to Jesus, I want you just to open your heart because I believe that God is present in the room with you. God is present in your living room or in your, wherever you're at, where you're watching right now. He is present with you and he wants to forgive you. He wants to lift that blame and that guilt and that shame that you're carrying and he wants to bring forgiveness and new life into your life. Would you pray with me? Jesus, Thank you for loving us so much that you took our sin, our shame, our blame, our regret, and our hurt, and you put it all on yourself. You carried it to the cross to wash away our suffering, to forgive our guilt and our sin, to give us new life. And so, God, we say yes to Jesus, and we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're asking that God's Spirit would come into our spirit and give us new life. We say yes to Jesus right now. In your name, Jesus, amen. Again, if you made that commitment, I want you to just quickly text LH now to 41411 or write that in the comment section. Look, we believe that when you say yes to Jesus, it changes everything about your life. Your life is radically transformed. One of the things we say within LifeHouse, and we, we believe it to be absolutely true for you today, is that life change happens now. And, and so it changes our story. It certainly changed Jasmine's story. So we invited her to share a little bit more of her story with you, how Jesus changes our stories. So would you just continue to watch and listen in as Jasmine shares uh, more of her story with us? 
I want to say well, well into my 20s that um, I finally decided to come back to church and just see how it was. And I did for a couple of weeks and it was fine. And I just wasn't connecting still for some reason. I don't know why. Eventually, um, we had a family get together at my house. My sister and my mother were sharing songs that they had heard at Lifehouse, things that they were singing. Me having such a connection with music and just that's how my soul feels. That's like when they were showing me the songs, I was just like, wow, man, like those are really good songs. <laughs> on my way to work, I would turn these songs on and just play them on repeat over and over and over again. And the words finally started to just just keep going in my head and really push me. I don't, I don't know that I connected immediately, but I was willing to try to connect. Um, there was some kind of something missing in, inside. I mean, I was battling that every day. It was an everyday struggle to not connect with God. It was just my choice not to do it. But I kept coming to Lifehouse. I kept coming and eventually it was a every week thing and I was here every week and I heard a message and I'm not sure who the preacher was but he talked about your like using your gifts and I know that music for me um, isn't a gift from me it's a gift from God and this sermon about gifts was like if you have them why aren't you using them I really took that sermon to heart and um, I applied to be on the worship team and now I'm on the team and it's amazing and I still struggled when I got on the team to feel connected sometimes to people um, but I stayed consistent um, with the team and with praying and talking to God and I don't know how and I don't know like what happened but God took over. I went through hard stuff but I feel like I needed to go through that to really find God on my own. When I finally found him again, that I knew that that's what God, like it was all God, you know, the whole time. And even when I was at the low, he'd never left me. I think that shows so much of who he is. And I want someone else to see that. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.